Would you remain standing in honor of God's word as we go to the text from which my assignment comes today, 1 Kings chapter number 19. We are in a series, as you know, called Superheroes and Sidekicks, and today we're turning our attention to a new superhero who started off as a sidekick, and by the way, that's a message all in of itself. How many of you know to become great in God's kingdom, you got to start off with the service of being a sidekick. Greatness always begins with service, and this person served his way into greatness, although that's not our subject today. His name is Elisha, and the beginning of his story begins in 1 Kings chapter number 19. I'm going to begin in verse number 15. The scripture says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshah, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. And Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my mother and my father goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to prevent you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Today in our series, Superheroes and Sidekicks, I want to minister to you on the subject, the plow is standing in the way of the plan. The plow is standing in the way of the plan. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we open our hearts up for you to speak to us right now. We thank you that your word will have free course in every life and it will minister just what each person needs. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we come to the text, we find... Elijah, the mighty man of God, hiding in a cave and having a conversation with God. And this is a bizarre turn of events because Elijah has just won one of the greatest battles in the Bible. He has won what I like to call UFC BC. He has gone up against the prophets of Baal. He's gone up against um, the prophets of the fake God that was being worshipped by Israel at that time in a match where the odds were stacked against him. The wicked queen Jezebel and her equally wicked but yet uh, equally culpable husband, King Aram, they led the people of Israel away from the worship of God Jehovah to the worship of Baal. And so Israel is in a spiritual slump at this particular moment in their life because they have strayed away from God. They're experiencing literally a famine in the land. There's a drought in the land. And that's a message in and of itself because when you and I don't have our spiritual lives on point, we get thirsty. We get we, we see famine in our life. We see signs of it all around us. And so Israel is in that same condition. And so God taps Elijah on the shoulder and he says to him, I want you to go up to the top of Mount Carmel and I want you to invite the prophets of Baal to a showdown to prove to my people whose God is really God. And so Elijah goes up to the top of Mount Carmel. He invites 400 of Baal's finest against only himself. 
And I love the fact that the Bible points out this detail to us because I think it's there to remind us that when God is on your side, it doesn't matter what the odds say. It doesn't matter if you're the underdog. It doesn't matter if the situation is bigger than you or stronger than you. And sometimes we think, well, God can only do certain things. But I want you to know God can do anything. Nothing is too hard for God. And no matter what your situation is with God on your side, you can still overcome it. And so he invites 400 of the prophets to first him in the showdown on the top of Mount Carmel to prove whose God is God. And the idea here is that each of them will call on their God and the God that answers by five fire will prove himself to be God. And so Elijah is gracious and he says to the prophets of Baal, you go first and I'll go second. And so the prophets of Baal get up there and they begin to scream. The Bible says they cut themselves. I think they do the, the funky chicken dance a little bit to try to get Baal to respond. And Baal is a no-show no matter how hard they scream and no matter, no matter what they do. And so Elijah begins to mock them. And one of the things that he mocks them with, and this is literally in the Bible, is he basically says, is your God blocked up? on the bathroom. It, it, are his bowels not working right now? Does he need a laxative? What's wrong with him? Why won't he respond? It must be that he's just a human God. He's just a made up God. He doesn't have supernatural ability to power. And, and Elijah is talking all this smack and the prophets of Baal are calling on Baal. He's not responding. And soon the crowd begins to shift from rooting for Baal to rooting for Elijah and the God of Israel. It's kind of like, I see kind of like the Rocky movie when Rocky goes off into Moscow to fight Drago. You remember that? And the crowd is against Rocky to begin with. He walks in and they're, they're booing him. But by the time they're in the middle of the fight and Rocky is sticking in there and hanging in there and they see his heart, all of a sudden the crowd begins to shift and they start chanting, Rocky, 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 Elijah, Elijah. And I see kind of like the crowd just shifting. They start rooting for Elijah. And Elijah is there. And before he calls on God, he, something, he does something really, really peculiar, really, really insane. This is in a drought. This is in a, a play, in, in, a, in a season where it hasn't rained for a long time. And so what does he do? He calls for water. He sets up the offering. He sets up the wood. He digs a trench around the altar. And he calls for water. It's scarce during the time. It's a precious resource and commodity. And he douses. He fills up four buckets. And he douses the wood and the offering with the water. Not once, not twice, not three times, not three, and, and, but three times. It fills the trench all around. And then after... After he has made the wood and the sacrifice drenched, he then calls on God to answer by fire. Why is he doing this? He's doing this to let everybody know that God doesn't need our help in answering our prayers. He just needs our faith. Sometimes we think everything's got to be just right. We got to, you know, kind of fix this and fix that and get this thing in order and get that thing in order in order for God to answer our prayers. But God's not worried about what it looks like. He's not worried about if the wood is wet. He's not worried about if the marriage is that far gone. He's not worried about if you're that far behind with your bills. He's not worried about the fact that the kids say they don't want to have anything to do with God. God can still respond even if the wood is wet in your life. And so he sets this whole miracle up, calls on God, Jehovah, and I love the fact that God, Jehovah, answers the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's what the Bible says. It says that not only does God consume the sacrifice, we get that. He consumes the wet wood. We could even get that because he's a miracle-working God. 
He consumes the altar, the stone altar. God consumes that. And then here's the part I love the most. It says, and he licked up the water that was in the ditch around the altar. And you know why I like this? Because it tells us that when God does something in our life, God doesn't do a partial work in our life. God does a complete work in our life. He finishes it right to the very end. And so often in life we get excited when stuff gets better, but it's not the blessing, the complete blessing that God wants us to have. And God wants us to know that on the cross, Jesus did not say it is now better. Jesus said it is now finished and stay in faith until God finishes the work in your life. And so God finishes and Elijah takes the prophets of Baal and he slaughters them all because how many of you know you can't leave your enemy hanging around? You got to finish it. I love, last week we looked at David. You remember what David did after he knocked Goliath down with the stone? He, he wasn't satisfied that Goliath was just on the floor. Sometimes in life we get satisfied with the fact that our problem lays off for a season. But how many of you know if all you do is satisfied with the problem getting a little bit better and you walk away, it's going to come back again? And what did David do? He grabbed the sword of Goliath and he cut his head off. He made sure that thing had no chance of ever coming back again. And so Elijah kills the prophets of Baal. And after he kills the prophets of Baal, there's a great revival in Israel. Israel turns back to God Jehovah, and they worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and it's, it's exciting. And I'm thinking, what's that after party look like? I mean, once you have an after party, if you had a great victory like that, maybe your after party would look like you were popping some bottles, non-alcoholic, of course, right? By the way, I ought to say something about that because there's this looseness in the church these days. Have you noticed it? This, this, this looseness in the church today. And the looseness is as, as long as we don't go full-blown into sin, we're okay. But we could just dabble a little bit around in things, you know, because we can exercise self-control. And I actually know worship teams. And if I told you who the worship teams were, you would not be able to believe because they're some of the most prominent worship teams in the world that actually after they lead worship, they go back and drink. The Bible doesn't say don't get drunk. It's perfectly okay. Why would we want to mess around with that kind of stuff? Why don't we want to come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord? Where is the holiness factor? And so um, maybe your after party might include something like that. Maybe it would include, you know, thinking about a book deal because this was a great thing that Elijah just did. Maybe he's talking to Universal. You know, we're talking about superheroes and, and, and sidekicks. Maybe he's talking to Universal about a, an action film based on this whole event. I don't know what he was doing, but his after party didn't look anything like what I think an after party after an event like this should look like. You know what he does? He runs and he hides in a cave. Because after he kills the prophets of Baal, the queen says, puts out a threat. And the threat is, I'm going to do the same thing to you that you just did to my prophets. I'm going to kill you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I called down fire from heaven and somebody threatened me, I'd be like, bring it on. Let's go, crazy lady. You want some of this right here? Come on, Cletus. Come on, Cletus. Come on, bring it over here. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's just a movie right there. Anyway, he runs and he hides in a cave and he's in the cave and what does he do in the cave he says to God I'm quitting 
And if I had time, I'd talk to you about the ramifications of coming down off of a high in your life. Over a time in your life when you worked so hard for something and you saw it come to pass and the vulnerabilities that you have after you go all in and see something come to pass. You've got to be spiritually alert at times like that because the adversary, the enemy is roaring, roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for those opportunities, but that's not our subject. Elijah says to God, I quit. I'm not doing this prophet thing anymore. And God tries to encourage him. And this is where we pick the text up. Look at what God says to him again. Go the way that you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. What is God trying to tell Elijah at this time? He's trying to say in order for the queen to get to you, she's got to go through two armies and a new prophet who is going to have such a bad anointing on him, he's going to be scary. What is God telling us? In order for our enemy to get to us, do we realize what our enemy has got to go through? God has more things that are good surrounding us than we realize it. And nothing that happens to us happens apart from God saying, you know what, if I let it come through, it's because you have the power to overcome that thing. And so he's trying to encourage Elijah, but Elijah's not hearing it. And so what does he say? He says, I want you to anoint Elisha. To succeed you at pro- as prophet. Now here's the first thing I want to share with you about the plow standing in the way of the plan. First thing we got to realize is that God has this amazing, incredible, hopeful, prosperous, undeniable, life-altering, life-changing plan for our lives. And sometimes we don't realize the kind of plan that God has because we get stuck in the mundane of life. And when we get stuck in the mundane of life, we are constantly asking that question, isn't there more? And I believe Elisha was asking this question because when Elijah found him, remember what he was doing? He was plowing. Plowing was backbreaking work in Bible times. Every day he'd get up and plow. And let's face it, he didn't have the greatest view of life standing behind, standing on a plow, staring at oxen rears. That wasn't the greatest view of life. He's staring at oxen butts, this guy. He was literally stuck behind butts. You ever get stuck behind a butt? Well, I would, I would, I would come to church more often, but I'm very, very busy. You know, I, I, would, I, would, I would go for the dream that God has put in my heart. But, you know, I don't really know where to start. I, I, I really would try to save our marriage, but, but it's been 15 years where it's been cold as ice. I, I think it's beyond saving, you know. I, I, I really want my kids to come to church, but, but every time I try to talk to them, you know, they, they don't want to hear it. So I don't know what else to do. Have you ever been stuck behind butts? Well, you can't get out of your own way because there's always a reason. There's always an excuse. There's always something that's talking you out of it. Here is Elijah, and he is very literally stuck behind butts. His life is mundane. It's the same thing over and over again. He is staring at oxen rears. Monday, staring at oxen rears. Tuesday, selfie, Elijah, but in the background, oxen rears. Have you ever taken a selfie and you didn't know something was in the background? Well, there it is. You posted it and you didn't look. Wednesday's Facebook post, oxen rears. Thursday's Instagram story, oxen rears. 
Friday's tweet, hashtag oxen rear, hashtag Elijah, hashtag this is my life, hashtag my grind, hashtag nine to five. I mean, his whole life is all about oxen rears. It's the same old, same old, same old, same old. It is mundane. And I think we can all personally relate to what Elijah must have been going through. Is there more? Is this all that life has to offer me? The mundane, the monotony, the pointless, the purposelessness, the just the, the sweating and the working and getting up and going to work for a paycheck and just collecting a check so that you can pay bills and getting back up and collecting a paycheck so that you can pay bills. Is that all that life has to offer or are or were we created for more? We can all relate when we give up on our dreams because we see them as unattainable. When, when, when we slip into a depression because we've decided that life will always be this way. When we have experienced a circumstance for so long, we don't think there's any shot of it ever changing. When we feel stuck in a station of life that we wish would pass. When the marriage gets stale. When change seems impossible. When an unwanted situation stays around for far too long. What do we do? Is this it? And it's against that backdrop that the story of Elisha emerges. And it's against that backdrop that even Jesus speaks into our life when he comes to earth. Remember some of the old school scriptures, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I think we've forgotten about that scripture. I think we've forgotten about the kind of life that God has called us to and the kind of plan that God has for our life. The message says... I came that they might have real and eternal life, more and better life than they've ever dreamed of. That's the kind of life that God wants you to have. If you take a Selah moment and you just think about the kind of life you really want, the pinnacle of your dream is nothing compared to the kind of life that God has dreamed up for you. The Amplified said, I came that they might have and enjoy life. God wants us to enjoy life and have it to the abundance until it overflows. The most famous scripture on the plan of God in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. What is God saying? I got a good plan for your life. It's an amazing plan for your life. One of my favorite scriptures on God's plan is Ephesians 2, 10. It says this, we are God's workmanship. Very literally in the Amplified, his master work of art. Wouldn't that be a good way to look at yourself? I am a masterpiece. I'm a work of art. Could you imagine that? Just looking in the mirror one morning and just going, masterpiece. I mean, you need to do that stuff when you get older. Because the mirror ain't your friend as you get older, right? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. Sometimes I walk by the mirror, I'm like, <laughs> you know. And especially when you're going into the shower, you don't want to see none of that. You're like, oh, my God, I didn't realize it got that bad, you know. Because when men look in the mirror, they still see muscles. I just want you all to know that. Like, you know, men have this distorted view of themselves. They still think they look like they look when they were 21. You know, they look in the mirror and they, yeah, I still got it, right? No, you don't. It's sagging everywhere. And anyway. But imagine looking in the mirror. I'm God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand to take, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life, which has been prearranged and made ready for us. 
See, sometimes we forget the kind of plan that God has for our life, that he has an amazing, good, audacious, indescribable, undeniable, life-changing, life-altering plan for our life. Could you imagine Elisha? He is stuck behind a plow day in and day out. Is that all that there is? But what I love about God is even when Elijah thought he was stuck behind the butts, there was a conversation being had miles away about him with a man by the name of Elijah, the most powerful prophet on the planet. And God was saying, I have seen a man, and I want you to go and anoint him to be your successor. Even when you think life is mundane and never will change, there is a conversation being had about you in heaven to release the ultimate plan that God has for your life. God has so much better for us than we could ever think. Even though God has this amazing plan for our life, the fact of the matter is we have a plow. We have a plow. God has a plan. We have a plow. What do you mean, Pastor? Hang in there with me for just a moment. Notice Elijah shows up to anoint Elijah while he is plowing. Verse number 19, so Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair and Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. The cloak was a symbol of the mantle of the anointing. It was a symbol of that his station in life was about to change, that he was about to carry this anointing for Israel. But here's the point that I want you to see. While he was plowing, he discovered the plan that God had for him. While he was doing the mundane, God showed up and revealed the plan. By the way, when God has got a plan for your life, guess what? You don't need to make it happen when it's your time. It'll show up. The opportunity will come knocking for you. He discovers this while he is plowing. But now he's got a choice. The plow or the plan. The plow and the plan always stand in contrast to one another. There's always something in our life that God is calling us to exit in order to enter the ultimate plan that he has for our life. Elijah's plow, it was what he was used to. It was what he went to every day. It's what paid the bills. It's what he was familiar with. It's what he gave his life to. It's what he had given so many years of himself to. He had a love-hate relationship with it. He loved it because it paid the bills, but he hated it because it was hard. It was his reality. It was his normal. It's what he got attached to. Here's my question. What is your plow? What is the thing? That God is pointing to in your life. And God is saying, that thing is standing in the way of my plan for your life. A plow can be anything. It can be an inferior purpose. It can be a mundane job, but it's not what you've been made for. It can be a habit. It can be an addiction, a relationship, a perception, a mindset, a vice, a sin. It can be an environment. It can be a hurt that you're holding on to. It can be bitterness that you're harboring in your heart. It can be a scar that you just can't shake. It can be all of these things, but every plow always stands in the way of God's plan. And we all have choices to make in life. And one of the greatest choices that we will ever be called to make is to give up the plows so that we can experience the plan. Why would we do that? Because we need to understand how good the plan is. That's why I point through all those scriptures. We need to understand that the plan that God has for us far and away exceeds our plan for our own life. And it takes that kind of revelation in order to get rid of the plow so that you can walk in the plan. What are you holding on to? 
that God is asking you to give up? What do you love more than Jesus? What do you value more than pleasing God? What in your life has moved God to second place on your priority list? What is causing you to love God with less than all of your heart? What is standing in the way of you seeing God's plan for your life? That is your plow. And only you can choose to leave your plow and go after your plan. Other people can tell you about it. Other people can encourage you about it. I can talk to you till I'm blue in the face about God's amazing plan for your life. But listen to me. As you hang on to your plows, you are short-circuiting the plan that God has for your life. Somewhere along the line, you've got to choose to go all in. And that leads me to my third point. On your outline, in order to experience the plan, we've got to burn our plows. Notice verse number 20. Elisha then left his oxen. He ran after Elijah. I think that's good theology. He ran after the plan of God. You know, nowadays we, we sing about, and I love it, and I believe it, and there's so much spiritual truth in it. You know, the, the, the reckless love of God, how it chases us down. I love to sing that song. I love that song. But you know what? What happened to us chasing after God? What happened to that? Is that theology long and gone? Are we so reliant on God treating us like little babies all the time where God's got to be the one who's always chasing us down? Where is our passion to chase after the things of God? Where is our passion to say, God, I want you and I'm coming after you with reckless abandon? We need that back again. And so he runs after Elijah. He says, let me kiss my mother and my father goodbye. And then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. I haven't prevented you. So Elijah left him and he went back. Now, just let me say this. Be careful when you go back to what God is calling you to leave. Be careful when you go back to what God is calling you to leave. Why? Because there's a temptation when you go back to stay once again. To forsake the plan because the plow is very, very alluring. And so many times what happens in our Christian life, we get glimpses of God and we want God and we make new commitments to Christ and so on and so forth. But then we go back. And when we go back, it sucks us right in almost like the Bermuda Triangle and its hold on us grabs us and we can't seem to break free. Be careful when you go back unless you go back for one reason and one reason only. It's why Elijah went back. Notice what he did. He said, when he went back, he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. He did three things. Number one, he kissed his family. I get it. I'm tracking with him. Comes back, he said, God has called me, you know, and I need to go follow the call of God on my life. His parents said, well, where are you going? He said, I don't know. He said, well, when you be back, I, I don't know. How many of you know God doesn't do details? That's why we know he's a man. That's a joke right there. That's a joke. He doesn't do details. God doesn't give us big instructions with lots and lots of details. Do you know why God doesn't give us big instructions with lots and lots of details? Because we have a hard enough time just obeying simple things. So that's why God says, here's God's biggest instruction ever in the Bible. And you'll see why he doesn't really give us a, because hardly nobody obeys this. Go! One word. Into all the world and preach the gospel. Don't raise your hand. How many is obeying that instruction? 
Do you see why God doesn't give us a lot of details? Because we can't even obey go. And so he doesn't do details because God wants us to follow his plan, to trust him, to provide the details along the way. And so he goes and he kisses his parents go by. I get that. Then he has a community barbecue. Did you notice that? He serves meatloaf and buffalo burgers. Did you notice that? I mean, to everybody who's there. And I get this because in Bible times, there were community celebrations, especially to mark uh, life-changing events. And so this is a life-changing event. He's been called to be Israel's next prophet. And so I'm tracking with him thus far. But then notice the third thing that he does. Doesn't just kiss his parents. Doesn't just hold the barbecue. But he burns the plow in order to cook the burgers. He burns the plow. And I'm like, Elijah, what are you doing? Why don't you give the plow to like, you know, somebody in your family? They could use it to earn a living. Why don't you give it to one of your neighbors? What are you doing burning the plow? And so everybody probably looked at him and go, this is a waste. This is an absolute waste. Sort of like the woman with the alabaster box. You remember her? She, she was touched by Jesus. She was a prostitute. She had a bottle of perfume that was worth a year's wages. Prostitutes used their perfume in order to allure their uh, clients, if you will. Victims would be more like it, right? The Bible says don't go the way of the evil woman, the strange woman. It may seem good, but it's a trap. Right? And so they would use this. She gets touched by Jesus. She's overwhelmed by the change in her life. And she busts into an aristocratic dinner party, makes a beeline for the feet of Jesus. And what does she do? She breaks her alabaster box. And everybody around goes, why this waste? See, because they didn't understand something about the plow and the plan. They didn't understand that the plow always stands in the way of the plan. And so if you ever go back, the only reason why you should ever go back is to break completely, to burn completely the plow and the thing that is tying you to your past. So there is no temptation to ever return to that thing. At some point in our spiritual journey, we've got to go all in. We've got to surrender everything to God. Reckless abandon what is God calling you to burn what is God saying to you it's time to get rid of that thing it's time to say goodbye to what's holding you back it's time to say goodbye to what's keeping you bound it's time to forsake everything else but the plan of God I'm trusting it's time to say to God I'm trusting you completely I'm not leaning on a relationship I'm not leaning on a job I'm not leaning on an addiction I'm never ever ever going back to my old life what's God calling you to burn what plow is in your life that God is, you know, he's talking to you about it. When you get home today, there ought to be smoke coming out from every chimney. The roof, the roof, the roof is. How come you all know that song? Got to burn our plows. Radical surrender. No turning back, no safety nets, no backup plans. 110% committed to Jesus. Where did we ever get this partial commitment to Jesus theology from? Jesus didn't say it. 
He said, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, you can't straddle the fence and experience the full plan of God. You can't, you can't figure out these are the things I, I want to keep and these are the things I want to... You need to say, God, I laid all at your feet, all at the foot of the cross. If you want to experience the full plan of God for your life, you've got to pick up your cross daily and follow him. And I know we don't preach this anymore, but I'll be darned if I'm not going to preach it anymore because it's what is necessary in order to experience the plan of God. Reckless abandon. Every person who did something great for God radically surrendered to him at some point in their journey. Abraham, when he offered up his son Isaac, radical surrender. Noah, when he built a boat and it never rained before, radical surrender. Esther, when she went before the king uninvited and risked her life, radical surrender. Moses, when he went before Pharaoh and said, let God's people go, radical surrender. David, when he went before Goliath and said, I'll go out and fight the uncircumcised Philistine, Radical surrender. Jesus, when he went to the cross, radical surrender. And Elisha, when he went back and he burned his plow. What's God calling you to burn up in your life? It's time to break free, the plow or the plan. And it's a good thing that Elisha burned his plow because, do you know it took him 14 years to take his place as Israel's next prophet? 14 years. Do you know what happened during those 14 years? Same thing that happens to us when we go all in on Jesus and it gets hard. By the way, did you hear that? When you go all in and it gets hard. Because how many of you know that even though God has an amazing plan for your life and an abundant plan for your life and a prosperous plan for your life and an undeniable plan for your life and an indescribable plan for your life and a life-changing plan for your life, God doesn't have an easy plan for your life. And see, the problem with us is we teach people that. Come to Jesus and you'll have an easy life. And so the first time somebody encounters turmoil in their journey with Jesus, what do they do? They go back to the plow. Because they didn't have the confidence to burn it. Elijah's 14 years in. 14 years. When he got that cloak first thrown on him, you know what he thought? Man, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be Israel's next prophet. But for 14 years, he carried Elijah's coat around. Carried his coat. Got him stuff. I need some water. Go get it for me. I need you to make sure that everybody's ready to hear this message. Go handle the details. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. I need you to do this. And I think Elijah was, I'm really thinking Elijah was probably thinking, but I thought I was going to be the man. This is hard. I don't want to do this. Maybe I'll go back to the plow. Oh, that's right. I can't go back to the plow. I burned it. See, you need to sometimes burn some stuff to protect you from yourself because the enemy knows where to pull you back from. And sometimes you just got to cut ties with certain things so that you can serve God with all your heart. Why did he carry that coat for 14 years? Because that coat was the anointing. That coat was the anointing. How many of you know before you can get released into the anointing, you got to learn how to handle the anointing? You need time to grow into what God has called you to. Because if you get there before you've grown there, what will happen is when you get there, you will mess the whole thing up. And so God just had him carry that cloak around for all those years, getting familiar with the place that he was ultimately going to step into. And Elisha, Elisha finally realized... At the end of his journey, when he became Israel's next prophet, the fourth and final point, the cost of not burning your plow 
is greater than the cost of burning it. The cost of not burning your plow is greater than the cost of burning it. Sometimes we think, oh, what if I, if I give that up? The cost of not burning the plow is greater than the cost of burning it. Let me just call your attention to a story, and then I'll bring it back to Elijah in Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10, Jesus meets a rich man. He doesn't have money. He has wealth. There's a difference between money and wealth. Money's when you got $20 in your pocket. You got money. Money, you get, if you got a penny in your pocket, you got money. There's a difference between money and wealth. This man has got so many resources at his disposal, but he's empty on the inside. And he goes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says this to him. He says, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great or many possessions. Jesus wasn't trying to get this guy to live a life without wealth. Jesus has no problem with us having wealth. Jesus has no problem with us having money. Otherwise, everybody in here would be in sin. And I hate this thing about, you know, well, some money is okay, but a lot of money is not okay. Who told you? The man who's driving a Chevy looks at the man who's got a Mercedes and say, why does he need that? The man who's driving a bike looks at the person who's got a Chevy and says, why does he need that? The person that is walking back and forth at the time looks at the guy on the bike says, why does he need that? It's all relative. God doesn't have these orders of things. You can have this, but you can't have that. You can have this, but you can't have that. You can have this, but you can't. Who told you? Look at your Bible. Abraham, rich. Solomon, rich. David, rich. These are all people who was hand-selected by God to be in some of them, the lineage of Jesus, right? But here's what God does have a problem with. When wealth has us, do you know what this man's plow was? It was his wealth. Not because he had money, but because money had him. It was before God, and because it was before God, God could not unleash his plan into this man's life. And so Jesus, in essence, told him, burn your plow. Burn it. Why? Nothing can be before me. I am a jealous God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. I need to be first in your life. The man doesn't want to burn his plow. He says, the cost of burning my plow, the opposite, is not as great. The cost of not burning my plow is not as great. Jesus says the opposite. The cost of not burning your plow is way greater than the cost of burning it. He didn't want to burn it. He went away sad. He's gone, and Jesus is with the disciples. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says this. The man is now gone. Jesus reveals the rest of the plan. Because Jesus doesn't give you the whole plan up front. Remember we talked about it. He's not a God of details. He wants to see if you're going to obey. And then in verse number 29, he says, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied to his disciples, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much when they get to heaven. Is that what that scripture says? In this present 
age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, because when you're blessed, you got burdens. When you're blessed, there's responsibility. And in the age to come, eternal life. What was Jesus trying to do? Jesus was trying to get this man to tap into the plan. To tap into the plan. Here was the plan. Put me first in your life. Put me above all things. Burn every other thing that is above me. And I will unleash a plan in your life that you can't even dream of. It's way better than anything that you could possess on your own. Let me bless your life. The key to blessing is burning. Burn your plow. Walk in God's blessing. God showed me this scripture when I was, I'm trying to think, I want to give it accurate. When I was 21, I think, I know why I'm having such a hard time remembering. It was just a couple of years ago. When I, when, I was, when I was 21, God showed me this scripture. He called me in the ministry, and I don't know if I, I've shared this part of this story with you, but I, I, I wanted to be rich before I went into ministry. And so I went to school to become a CPA attorney. Um, I was good with numbers, and I thought, what can I do with numbers where I can get rich? That was my question. That was really the only reason why I wanted to be a CPA attorney, because of the payoff. And so I went to school, to, and I became a CPA and started working for a large accounting firm. And while I was there, they had offered along with some of the other interns uh, and, and now people who were working full-time for them, because we started off as interns, that they would pay for our uh, law school if we wanted to go on and become CPA attorneys. And so this was cool. This was great. I was well on my way to uh, fulfilling my plan for my life. And my plan was this, get rich, and then about somewhere in the mid-40s, retire and work for God for free. Isn't that a good plan? It's kind of a noble plan, right? Like I'm thinking, God, that's free for like half of my life. That's a good, God, this is good for you. This is a good deal for you. God, if you just let me go ahead and get rich first, I'll work for free for the rest of my life for you. Here's the problem. It was my plan, not God's plan. And so right at the beginning of my plan where stuff starts to unfold, I'm building a custom house. I'm getting ready to, and custom is good because you get to pick your own stuff, right? And so, I mean, everything is coming together. I mean, we are well on our way and things are, I think my plan is coming together. All of a sudden, God sends a ministry opportunity my way. I wasn't looking for a ministry opportunity. And here's how they presented the ministry opportunity to me. They said, well, you can come on staff at our church, and we'll make you the associate pastor who was also the youth pastor, who is also the high school science teacher and math teacher, and is also the fill-in preacher when the head preacher is not, and also the person who does all the hospital visits, and is also the person who counsels with people, and is also the person that cleans when they need to clean, and we'll pay you $400 a month for it. I had a one-word answer for God. No. I was like, you like to give me one-word answers. I got a one-word answer for you. You say go, I say no. And me and God fought back and forth until finally I said yes. I don't know what got into me. I said yes. And when I said yes, the next morning I'm reading my Bible. It's good to read your Bible. You'll find out some amazing things. I'm reading my Bible, and this scripture comes across to me. He who forsakes land, houses, Family, brothers, sisters, fields, for my sake and the gospels, will receive, will not fail to receive a hundredfold in this life and eternal life in the life to come. And I said, that's what I'm talking about. God. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is going to be cool. This is going to be quick. You know, God's called me in the ministry. They say 400, but I'm thinking 400,000. I'm thinking 4 million. And quick, 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 right? 
And so for a lot of years, I was broke. Broke. And I remember one time, so broke, I'm paying my bills, married, got a kid. I don't have enough money for diapers. I don't have enough money for formula. And we we break open a piggy bank and count it and put it all together and roll coins and stuff like that. Just get up enough money for it. And, and, and I got frustrated and I said, God, I said, I said, I left everything. You told me. If I left everything, you'd take care of me, you know. And I'm just getting frustrated with God and frustrated with God. And I'm thinking, this is, the, this is not right. And I said, God, I, I've never missed a tithe. I've never missed an offering since the day I was 14. Even in this season of lean, you always came first. God, I didn't say I like the tithe, but I can't afford to. Never said that, God. I said, why aren't you providing for me? And you know what God brought me back to? I said, remember that scripture I showed you when I first called you? And I said, oh, yeah. He said, go read it again. And I read it again. And here's what God was telling me in the middle of the hard season. He was saying, you burned the plow. Because when we left New Jersey, we burned, from our point of view, guaranteed wealth, big-time jobs, custom house. We burned family because we weren't going to live by family. We burned the area that we grew up in that we liked so much. We burned it all. And here we are serving God. And God reminded me of this scripture as if he was saying to me, you burn the plow. It's just a matter of time before you experience the plan. Little did I know at that time when God was saying that to me, that we would be here today. We'd be in a $25 million facility. We'd be on one of, uh, one, uh, one of uh, only a few mega churches in all of New England. We'd have the campuses that we'd have. We'd have a worldwide television show. We'd have uh, a Champions Club that helps underprivileged kids and kids with, with special needs. I didn't know any of that. I, and God wasn't going to tell me. You know why? God wanted to test my heart. God wants to test your heart. God wants to know, are you willing to burn your plows for me? Are you willing to get anything out of the way? Just standing in the way of my plan. And Elijah, he burned his plow. 14 years later, it's now ready for Elijah to leave. And Elijah looks at him and he says, he says, anything you want me to do before I leave? Elijah said, I want a double portion of your anointing. You ever hear people ask that question? They'll go up to somebody silly. Like you see somebody at like a, like a, a meeting or something like that. Like say T.D. Jakes comes around. And you get a chance to see him afterward. And he says, how can I help you? Can I get a double portion of your anointing? No! You can't. You can't get a double portion of somebody's anointing just by asking them while they're passing by. Elisha served for 14 years. You don't get anointed overnight. But now he's in a position. He said, he said, can I get a double portion? And here's what Elijah said. He said, you asked a hard thing. Elijah was representative of God. Do you know Jesus said, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do? Ask of me. I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. The other most parts of the earth for your possession. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, that will he do that the Son may be glorified. What's he, when God asks you to ask for something, ask big. You serve a big God. He said, I want a double portion. Elijah said, you asked a hard thing. He said, you got to see me when I'm going up. And if you see me when I'm going up, then you'll have a double portion. And sure enough, he watched him as he was going up. He tore his clothes because even though it was his time, he was sad to see his mentor leave. That double portion fell upon him. And in his lifetime, he did twice as many miracles as the greatest prophet 
that Israel had ever known up to that point. What happened? He burned his plow. He experienced the plan. Here's God's clear message to you today. It's very simple. What plow do you need to burn? What's in your life that God is asking you to get rid of so that you can experience the full plan of God? Would you stand to your feet?